wicked, wicked, wicked. Knock it down to business. I don't got no time to play around with this thing. This is Wicket's World with Mike Wicket on 1350 ESPN Des Moines. It is seven degrees in this studio. I'm doing something I never, ever do this late in the day. And actually, this early in the afternoon, this late in the day, drinking coffee to keep my hands and my body. I'm wearing, like, if you're watching the video on the ESPN Des Moines Facebook page, I have a zipped up hoodie, a winter hat. And I'm holding a coffee mug and I'm drinking hot coffee because for some reason, Kira, this studio is seven degrees right now. And I, this just feels like I didn't have bring any hand warmers to work. <laughs> but for some reason, because if you don't know, and hello, thank you for joining us. If you're in Des Moines and maybe I don't know what the weather is, wherever you might be streaming the show. The weather doesn't know what to do right now. It's February 2nd. We're done with dry January. Now it's time for fill it up. February, you know, make up for lost time, February. But the weather says late March, April. And the weather has no, like, I don't feel like my body doesn't do well when the weather changes. And so this weather is messing with our AC and heat, our HVAC system here. And I'm sure it's doing the same thing to your office where it might be. So that's why if you're watching the video, you're like, why is Wicket bundled up like he's broadcasting from outside in February? It's because this building doesn't know what it's supposed to be doing right now. But we'll, we'll end up, and you know what's funny? About 20 minutes from now, the heat will kick on, and I will start sweating in all of this. I think, I think that's coming. That is on the way. Uh, but a happy Friday to you. Going to get into a bunch of stuff here, but I want to lead uh, with some National Football League, and then I'm going to get into the big story. Yesterday, I was sitting, uh, we had our, You'll find this odd. We had our Christmas party yesterday on the first day of February. It was supposed to be a couple of weeks ago, the holiday party, but we got 10 inches of snow that Friday night. (laughs) And so they decided to cancel it a day before because a blizzard was coming, rightfully so. And so I'm sitting next to one of the other DJs uh, from one of the radio stations down the hall, and his wife is a big-time Milwaukee Brewers fan. All right, She's a big fan of the Packers and the Brewers and the Badgers. All Wisconsin, all Wisconsin sports, right? And I'm sitting next to uh, this DJ, Luke, from KIOA. And he says, uh-oh, Susan's upset. I'm like, why? It's his wife. The Brewers traded Corbin Burns. And I'm like, that's what Susan, your wife, is texting you about? So I'm going to talk about Corbin Burns and the Brewers trade coming up because, oh, it's the life, unfortunately, that if you're a fan of small market baseball, you have to live with. we got a lot of Chicago Cubs fans around here. You don't have to live in that world, all right? You got the uh, the the open, the, the bottomless paper. Uh, what am I trying to say? The, the bottomless purse. Easy for me to say, right? Am I trying to? What am I trying to say? I don't even know. Payroll. Anyway, we'll get to that later on. But I do want to start with some football. One last look at what happened last week, and a little bit of what's going to happen next week, because we're in that time that time frame right now, where you got one football game left. The Pro Bowl sucks. The Pro Bowl games are a disaster. Nobody cares about how many footballs you can catch or a dodgeball game or a flag football game. We got the two games last week. We got the one next week with the Chiefs and the Niners. All right? Yeah, today is Groundhog Day. It's Super Bowl week again. I've seen this a good meme of uh, Bill Murray dressed up as, you know, Bill Murray from Groundhog Day, and somebody put a Chiefs bandana and a Chiefs scarf on him. Like, 
Now, here we go again. Patrick Mahomes in the flipping Super Bowl once again. Here we go. But I, I just can't help but think what a weird week it's been for Lions fans when a week ago we were talking about maybe the biggest game in the Lions' last 30 years. And they had it. And they absolutely had it. When to go up 14 nothing and to be up 17 in the third quarter drives you nuts if you're a football fan. Like, I had no dog in the fight. I didn't care if the Niners won. I didn't care if the Detroit Lions won. I got a lot of family back in Detroit. They're all Lions fans. They were going nuts, all right? When my mom is texting me during the game and my dad, both in their 70s, are texting me during the game, they're going crazy, right? And then to watch Dan Campbell completely blow that game. Oh, wicked. That's how they got here. Campbell going for it on fourth down. He's gritty. Analytics. That Detroit mentality. That culture of winning. No! That might work in week five. All right? Because there's no, I mean, there's consequence to losing week five if you're playing the Packers or the Bears or the Bills or whatever. But those, it's like what goes back to that game against the Dallas Cowboys when Dan Campbell went for two from the seven and then went for two from the four. There's more than one way to get to that W that you're looking for if you're the Detroit Lions or you're any NFL team. You have an idea, right? Like, you have your game plan. But when the, when the game is going on, things got to change. Whether it's good or bad, you got to make an adjustment. And Dan Campbell, who, you know, sh- I know some people think he should get coach of the year, love. No, no, no. The Lions were supposed to win the NFC North. The Lions were supposed to get 11 wins, 12 wins, whatever. But Dan Campbell cost his team the game. Now, I know what people are going to say. When you are up 14 points and you're on the 28-yard line and you need four yards to get a first down and a touchdown likely ends the game, sure, I'll, I'll, I listen. I like all the, the reasoning behind it all. It makes sense in November. But when you're in January, you're in the NFC Championship game, you're on the road, even if your kicker isn't you know, Butker from Kansas City or even Moody on the other side, even if your kicker isn't great, like the dude that kicks for the Lions isn't, you've got to put yourself in a position where you can go up three scores, all right? If your kicker can't make, what is that, 28-38, can't make a 45-yard field goal in nice conditions, it wasn't raining, it wasn't windy, it wasn't snowing, it wasn't a tornado, there was no lightning, The grass wasn't wet. The grass wasn't snow-covered. It wasn't a swirling wind, all right? It was like 65 and calm. If your kicker can't make a 40-yard field goal in 65-degree calm weather with no wind, he shouldn't be on your team. But what happened, and you know this by now, they go for it. They don't get it. What do the Niners do? They go the other way, and they get seven. If you were to have kicked that field goal, being up three scores midway through the third quarter is nearly insurmountable. That was a 10-point swing and a buffoon buffoonery. It was buffoonery by Dan Campbell to not do it. And then he did it again. Now, the second kick would have been a bit, I think, about a 50-yarder, a little further. But again, 
if you can't make a 50-yard field goal in nearly perfect outdoor conditions, you probably shouldn't be on an NFL roster playing for the NFC Championship and the right to go to the Super Bowl. And it happened again. And they went for it and didn't get it. And San Francisco marched down the field, scored another touchdown. That is two 10-point swings. And then the lead was gone. And it was over for Detroit. And even still, at later in that game, and I, it's funny, no one's really talking about this play. When they were down, when Detroit had their last gasp, right? And they had the ball with a minute to go, and they had to punch it in. They either had to get three, or they had to get to the end zone and get seven. The Lions are down inside the five. And on third down or whatever, they run a play, and they don't get it. Why not kick and save the minute? Does anybody else remember that? Like, that is a play call and a decision that Dan Campbell made that no one's really talking about. Is he let 40 seconds run off the clock before finally trying another play when all the analytics, which is the reason Dan Campbell goes for it so much, all the analytics would have said, kick the field goal right there. Give yourself a minute should you get the onside kickback. And by the way, onside kicks are being recovered at like 9% in the National Football League right now. So you probably weren't going to have a good chance to get it back. But if you did, it would have been better than the 13 seconds you eventually were potentially going to wind up with. So all that being said, going back to Dan Campbell, because I am going to want to get to the Ravens and Chiefs and put a, a bow on that. As much as Detroit fans, and I know a lot of them, as much as Detroit fans are like, Dan Campbell's our guy. We love that he went for it. No. Campbell went for it like 30% more than anybody else or 20% more than anybody else in the National Football League this year, right? He still only had like a 38, 38% success rate. So while he may have gone for it more on fourth and two or fourth and three, you're still failing two-thirds of the time. That is what you're hanging your hat on? Is my coach fails two-thirds of the time more than everybody else, but I like him because he goes for it. I like him because he's gritty. I like him because he's tough. We're going to come in and kick your ass on fourth down. Like that, 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 that just, again, when you have your game plan and something goes awry in a football game or something fortunate happens, like who expected Detroit to be up 14 after a couple of series? Who expected Detroit to have a 17-point lead in the third quarter on the road at the Niners. I mean, San Francisco, in their last two playoff games, hasn't looked very good. They were, the Packers had them beat. Didn't work. Now they came back, and you got to give credit to San Francisco. The Lions had them beat. In the second half, both of these teams had the Niners down. Just got to put your, you got you to just execute. You got to be able to get the first downs or get the points and put San Francisco in a much tougher situation. And neither the Lions nor Packers could capitalize and do it. Green Bay missed a kick, went the other way, and then San Francisco won the game. And Jordan Love couldn't couldn't get it done in the final drive. Or you're the Lions, and you, and you chose not to even attempt a kick with your kicker who everybody's like, well, you know his percentages after 40 yards completely drop. That's okay. Then what's he doing on your roster? then what's that guy doing on your roster? So I I just, I want, you know, 
Do, do I think San Francisco is going to go and win this Super Bowl? I don't know. I can guarantee you this. If the Chiefs are up 17 in the third quarter, that's ball game. All right? A couple of reasons why. A, they have Harrison Butker, maybe the best kicker in football, or a top three kicker. You know, Justin Tucker, the dude at Dallas, Moody, whatever. Butker, great kickers. Guys that can hit kicks and have hit big kicks their entire life. Like, there's no way the Chiefs and their pedigree with that head coach and that quarterback and that kicker and that defense and that tight end are going to blow a 14-point lead in the second, in the third quarter. There's no way the Chiefs are going to blow a 17-point third-quarter lead to Brock Purdy, all right? That's not happening. You watch what the Chiefs did to Baltimore, so-called the best team in the National Football League last week. Baltimore completely... Baltimore beat themselves so badly in this game, it was ridiculous. Baltimore's offense is fantastic when they run and throw. When they run Lamar, when they let Lamar throw, and more importantly, when they run the ball with their 19 running backs. Nobody has more injured running backs than Baltimore, but Baltimore just keeps churning them out. And you've got Gus Edwards and Justice Hill. And we're not talking about two guys that are ever going to get mistaken for the league's best running back. But that is the number one rushing offense in the National Football League. Take a guess how many times running backs, any running back on that roster, ran the ball back-to-back plays in that whole game. Zero. They didn't do back-to-back running plays. They didn't call. Todd Munkin didn't call. Back-to-back running plays a single time in that game. They were literally saying, we're going to let Lamar throw. And as, a, as big of a fan of Lamar Jackson and, and his unbelievable dynamic ability, I think, as we all are, that guy can't beat you just throwing. Not right now, maybe not ever. He's, he's much improved than a couple of years ago. But Lamar Jackson can't beat you with just his arm. His legs are so dangerous. And it seemed almost as if Baltimore was playing into Kansas City's game plan. And then on the other side of the ball, you know, with the Chiefs, you know, we are all so used to seeing the ball fly down the field with, you know, all these different receivers and the cheetah that when he used to be there and these big, huge plays. Go look at the game film. Go look at the play calls. Go watch that game again. Everything Mahomes did was 15 yards and in. And they just chunk, 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 Kelsey touchdown. Chunk, 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 field goal. Like, they did not have big plays in that game, which had to be the game plan because if you could get three and four yards and take take a seven-yard play, you can keep Lamar off the field. Like, Andy Reid's game plan was brilliant. Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator for the Ravens, his game plan was dog crap. And they did such... Kansas City did such a better job of executing and doing what they have to do. They know they can't score 40, all right? But they can score 17, and they can beat you that way because they got that defense. Run clock off. Hard, angry runs from Isaiah Pacheco. Get the ball to Kelsey, who has just had a monster game. 11 catches, 150 yards or whatever he had in the touchdown. I mean, Kelsey has shown up in these playoffs in a year when so many people were saying, Kelsey is washed. Well, he certainly wasn't washed last week, and I don't think he's going to be washed coming up next weekend when they play in the Super Bowl.
Kira, who do you like? Chiefs or Niners? Chiefs. Yeah. Because remember, death, taxes, Mahomes. Yeah. That's it. You've seen the 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 the, the things I'm sure on Twitter where it's like January, February, Izzo, April. No, no, no. Now it's December, Mahomes. February could also probably be called Mahomes. It's just unbelievable. Oh, what was that awesome thing that Andy Reid said like one or two years ago? Be the be the bleep Grim Reaper. Yeah. Oh, he is. Oh, he he just is the Grim Reaper. He comes in. Mahomes will come in and rip your heart out. Here's Baltimore hosting the game at home. Best offense in the league. Best defense in the league. We got the MVP back there. Our defensive coordinator is going to get the Seattle Seahawks job. Everybody knows it. Our DB coach is going to get the DC job for Tennessee. Overwhelming favorite, right? Mm-mm. Death, taxes, Mahomes. Never bet against that guy. Coming up, switch to baseball. My uh, my friends who are Milwaukee Brewers fans, there are many of you. Brewers Nation is uh, going through a tough time right now, but I will explain why you shouldn't be all that upset after your best pitcher was traded to the Orioles. We'll get to that next. Wicket needs a timeout. He'll be back soon. You're listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Hey. Now, you know I'm not going to Cuba. And we'll take it. Oh, yeah. Listen, when you are leaving for a vacation, how long, how far out do you check out? Like, you're going somewhere really warm, really nice. Like, how far out do you begin to check out, Kara? Like, let's say you were going to Mexico on Wednesday. <laughs> Hypothetically. <laughs> like, how hard, like, when is it becoming impossible to focus on oh, your job? Probably Monday. Yeah. Just between, yeah, yeah. like, thinking about, oh, God, the gotta airport. Pa- oh, gotta God, pack. gotta pack. Yeah. Oh, God. yeah, that's where I'm at right now. For you, have to figure out, you know, who's going to make sure you're kids no 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 that's Lisa's that's the wife's response I'm not keeping no no my I told you my job because we're going to Mexico Wednesday for five days my job was airline tickets that was it wow she's I know right like I did nothing (laughs) I've done nothing we're taking one bag it's gonna be 50 pounds on American Airlines that's all we get yeah but I'm not checked out yet borderline checked out what's up to Jason and Jeff uh another Jason my old GM Dave is over here watching. What's up, Dave? Dave's down in Florida now, so he's nice and warm regardless. Up here in uh, Des Moines on 102.1 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Again, my name is Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. We got basketball all weekend, don't we? Coming up, uh, let's see, tonight. No, let me get this right. Tomorrow, we've got uh, the Drake men at Indiana State. The Drake women are playing over at UNI. Up in Cedar Falls. So we got tons of Drake basketball for you all day tomorrow here on ESPN Des Moines. And then we might get some NBA in late. So we shall see. All right. So I spent a lot of time uh, in Milwaukee doing sports talk and talking a lot about Brewers baseball. I was there for about a decade from 07 to 2016. Is that right? Something about that. Somewhere in that in that area. And that's when the Brewers actually became good. Uh, that Ryan Braun and Prince Fielder and Corey Hart and Giovanni Gallardo, and they brought in Zach Granke, and they made runs. They got to the NLCS, and, you know, it was this whole change in Brewers baseball where they went from being an also-ran to a team that was contending for the National League Central, and they were contending for National League pennants. Never got to the World Series. Got close. Got real close. 
I was actually at a game six when the Cardinals eliminated uh, the Brewers from the playoffs, and that was brutal. Game one of that series got kicked out of Miller Park. <laughs> I was let back in. It wasn't my fault. It was not my fault. I swear it was not. But I know Brewers fans. There's always this um, little brother syndrome when you're a Brewers fan because your hated rival to the South, the Chicago Cubs, they've got a massive payroll. And the Brewers, I think, have the sixth lowest or seventh lowest payroll in baseball right now. And it's better than it used to be. I mean, the Brewers used to spend half of what they actually spend now when Bud Selig was the owner. And now that Mark Adonazio is their owner, they've spent a lot more. Now, Brewers fans wish they would spend more. And baseball is just so out of whack right now. It's really hard for anybody, I think, in the offseason to be a fan of your team if they're not able to spend $700 million on Shohei Otani or, or $300 million on Garrett Cole. Like, it's hard to be a fan of, of baseball when you, the deck is not the same, when you're not playing on an even playing field. And so if you're a team like the Brewers or the Royals or the Rays or whoever, and you don't have a huge payroll, you have to draft well, very well. You have to develop your prospects in single, double-A and triple-A ball. And when they get up, they need to perform. The problem is when those guys do perform, if you don't sign them real early, they price themselves out of the market. And then you have got a window with which to win with those players. And the weird part about that window is if you're not going to compete, you have to look a year out. If you don't think you can sign a guy, are you going to be able to win with that guy? Or do you dish him, maybe take a step back a little bit, but start the process over again? That's exactly what happened to the Milwaukee Brewers yesterday. Sitting next to uh, Luke from KIOA, who does the morning show. And his wife is a big Brewers fan. And I looked over at him because we were sitting at our Christmas party. Yes, on February 1st. And I said, what's up? He said, oh, Susan's upset. I said, why? The Brewers just traded Corbin Burns. And as a Brewer fan, like, that hurts. The Corbin Burns has been great for Milwaukee for the last four years. Three-time All-Star. When he won the 2021 NL Cy Young, he's been in top eight for Cy Young voting in six of the last eight years or each of the last four seasons or something like that. I mean, he's ridiculous. Since 2020, Corbin Burns' ERA is 286. Like, that's, that's pretty freaking good. But you knew, as a Brewers fan, you absolutely knew that this was going to be his last year. Milwaukee could offer Corbin Burns $80 million. They wouldn't come close to what Corbin Burns is going to get on the open market. So yesterday they trade him to the Baltimore Orioles. Now the Orioles are not exactly a free-spending team. Now they have a new GM, new ownership. So this it could be a new era for o Orioles baseball. I have no idea. But the Brewers traded Corbin Burns their best pitcher. One of the best pitchers in team history for two prospects and a pick. And they brought in uh, D.L. Hall, who's a left-handed pitcher. I love when I read the, the and I'm, I'm not going to tell you I know a whole lot about D.L. Hall. Control has always been his Achilles heel. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, and Joey Ortiz, a shortstop who's 25 years old. If you're going to deal one of your players, your best player, your most tradable asset, you may as well trade him to a team that has the best minor league system in baseball. You know, like you're not going to, if they have got their top 10 is full of 
great prospects as opposed to somebody else's top 10 that might have one. Obviously, you want to go to the cupboard where it's more, more, more fruitful, and that would be the Orioles, who have the best minor league system in Major League Baseball or in all of baseball. Uh, this kid, D.L. Hall, ranked as the sixth best prospect in the Orioles system, and this kid, Joey Ortiz, as the seven. This is the life of small market baseball, all right? And I know Brewers fans yesterday were very upset about it. Here's Brewer GM Matt Arnold talking about the package he got back in uh, D.L. Hall, Joey Ortiz, and a supplemental pick, number 34, in the upcoming draft. Anytime you trade a guy like Corbin, it's it's always a, a difficult decision. The overarching theme here is that we're, we're excited about the players we're getting back. The reality of our situation is that we had one year left with, with Corbin. Corbin had been pretty public about how he was, this was going to be his last year as a Brewer. And so we felt like the opportunity to help our team right now with players like D.L. Hall, who was outstanding in the playoffs last year for the Orioles, a very young and major league ready Joey Ortiz that we like a lot. A late first round pick is a very well balanced and exciting deal for us. Yeah, I mean, you. This is pretty much what you would get. And Brewers fans on my timeline and on my Facebook, you know, feed and all that, very upset. Generally, the answer was, "That's it. That's all they got back. Why not wait till the deadline?" Well, here's the deal, man. The longer it goes, the less teams are going to give up that aren't the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Cubs or teams with massive payrolls, the Houston Astros. I don't know what the Padres are doing these days, but they sure spent a lot a couple of years ago. Because unless you're one of those teams that can afford to pay Corbin Burns $40 million a year, which is what he's going to get, $40, $45 million, whatever, something in that ballpark, unless you're one of those teams that can afford to do that, you know you have no shot to re-sign Corbin Burns after this season. He's got one year of control left. This is it. He is a rental for the Baltimore Orioles. And as you get closer to the trade deadline, you know that that number, the, the, the prospects for half a season, are going to go down. You're not going to get top-flight talent coming in for two months of Corbin Burns or whoever the player is. Again, if you're a Royals fan, you know how this works. If you're a Rays fan, you know how this works. Up until recently, if you're an Orioles fan, you know how this works. And it's funny now that the Orioles ripped their Band-Aid off, filled their farm system with great draft picks and great prospects, built it up, and they were the darling of the of Major League Baseball's season last year. Everybody was kind of rooting for the Orioles outside of your own team. Because the Orioles don't win. They haven't won. They haven't been a, a contender since Jim Palmer. Maybe Cal Ripken Jr. But now Baltimore's in a place to win. They have the best minor league system in baseball. They needed another guy to get out there, another ace, and they got it. And they got Corbin Burns. And some people are worried about the, the Brewers taking steps back, not being contenders in the National League Central. GM Matt Arnold knows that when you have to deliver this kind of news, it sucks. It's always tough. And I've, I've had to do this a number of times throughout my career to trade really good players. I understand that comes with some pain. And, and this is not an easy decision for us. But I think the opportunity to help our major league team right now and also in the future is something that's actually really exciting for us. Because I know that you realize Corbin Burns isn't signing with the Orioles. And I know Corbin Burns isn't signing with the Orioles long term. I guarantee you, every 
GM in baseball knows Corbin Burns isn't signing long-term. I think Scott Boris is his agent. And if Scott Boris is your agent, you are going to get the top dollar out there. You might sign an eight-year deal with an opt-out after three. And that often happens with Boris's clients. Because all of a sudden, the market resets two years later. You get out when you were making $40 million, And guess what? Now you're going to make 52 Because the market will keep going up. These paydays for these players in all sports, it doesn't matter. Paydays for players are never going to come back down to where you and I remember them. You know, like, it, it, it's never going to be a market reset. So that the hard part, I think, for sports fans of professional teams, when you look at guys signing these massive deals, and it took me a very long time to understand this, and I still think of myself going back and being upset, I still kind of be like, oh, it's just not fair. I'm working my ass off in my job, whatever I'm doing, whatever you do for a living, and these guys are making $60 million playing point guard or wide receiver or quarterback or pitcher or whatever. You have to put the money out. If, if you're just a fan of baseball, you're a fan of your team, whether you're a fan of the Cubs, whether you're a fan of the A's, whether you're a fan of the Mariners, whatever your team is, it's sometimes really difficult to, to watch the game and not think about the dollar behind the guys next to the guy's name on this, you know, on his salary line. It's really, really tough to do that. But again, I go back to what I said right out of the gate. If you're a team like the Brewers or the Royals or these small market teams, it's really, really hard to get excited in the offseason because your team can't go out and spend money like the Dodgers can for Shohei Otani. Like you knew Otani was going to go to like one of three teams, right? My Brewers were not one of those teams. And that's why baseball sometimes can be really, really tough in the offseason. Now, again, you go back to last year, the Brewers payroll, like 27th or 26th in baseball. They're right there in the playoffs. Didn't get it done. Didn't get it done the year before. Made it to the playoffs. It's a t- it, Baseball is such a, a strange game. And you have to draft, develop, and hope your guys come up and play well in that six-year window they're, before they're arbitration eligible, eligible. And then they, all of a sudden, they're going to want these big deals. You sign them early. Maybe you got a deal by signing them to a six-year deal for $80 million. And have they had that one breakout year a year earlier, it might be worth a $200 million deal. Like, baseball is so, it's tough. You have to be able to forecast, not just that year, but two years down the road, three years down the road with guys who are playing at a lower level of baseball. It's, it's ridiculously tough. And so to my Brewers fan friends, you had no chance at re-signing this guy. You got two young prospects who are 25 out of the best minor league baseball system in America. And you got picked number 34 in the upcoming draft. I think Matt Arnold did pretty well. I don't know if those guys are going to pan out. And if Burns goes on to win a Cy Young and the Orioles go on to win the World Series, I'll be a fan of Corbin Burns. I'll be a fan of him winning the World Series with the Orioles because his six years in in Milwaukee were fantastic. Coming up, we're going to fill in the blank, all right? The Vikings should blank Kirk Cousins. I'll tell you what that is next. Like ESPN Des Moines on Facebook and watch Wicket's World live in real time. This is 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Cake. 
Watching the sun bake. R.I.P. All of those tourists covered with oil. What? You didn't, you didn't, you were just playing a dead artist? Is that what you were doing, Kara? He died. A couple of, like, like a month ago, right? Too soon to play Margaritaville? <laughs> 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Uh, my name is Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World. Happy Friday to you. Coming up. Going to get to the two biggest stories in the National Football League over the week, over the last uh, week or so, as we are all getting ready for the Chiefs and the Niners to descend upon Las Vegas. And listen, I can't for the, I, I honestly can't believe we are talking about the Super Bowl being played in Las Vegas. Like I'm 42, growing up, gambling and sports were always so separate. And in the last five years, with the Raiders moving to Vegas and the Las Vegas Aces and the Las Vegas Knights, Golden Knights, winning a cup and the Aces wanting, and I think they won back-to-back WNBA championships, and now the A's are going to be there. Like, of all the cities when I was growing up that were going to have pro sports teams, it's so weird that Vegas is going to have, you know, all of these teams and now hosting the Super Bowl. But because of like DraftKings and FanDuel and reg- and and state laws chasing changing and everywhere you go, like this feels so weird to me that we're talking about a Super Bowl being played in Las Vegas. The Super Bowl is being played in Vegas. There have been guys who have gotten in trouble in San Diego, in New Orleans, in Miami, in Atlanta. I don't know if I know anybody got any uh, any trouble in Minneapolis or Detroit. Or Jersey. Sure, there was some nefarious stuff going on when those Super Bowls were happening. But this is Vegas. Sin City. One of my favorite places in the world. (laughs) I love Las Vegas. I'd love to go back. I haven't been back since my wedding almost seven years ago, but I need to get back. Kids will do that, man. If you're thinking about having kids and you like Las Vegas, go to Vegas one more time before you have kids. All right? That's my... Because you don't get to go back for a long time. But here we go, man. We are getting ready for it. And the Chiefs and the Niners are pl- are going to be staying in resorts. If I, listen, there's a lot of trouble to get into in any city. In, there's trouble to get into in Kansas City. I live there. I got into my fair share of fun times, right? How far out do you think you would have to stay we're getting to the strip or when you're rich, getting the strip to come to you. Like how far away do you think is the right buffer? The chiefs and the Niners are both staying in resorts that are roughly 25 miles off the strip. 25 miles. For those of us here in Des Moines, that's two thirds of the way to Ames. <laughs> you know, that's a quick shot up 35 going to Ames. Do you really think that a hundred rich football players and their entourages aren't going to be like, let's just jump in an Uber or in their case, a helicopter, you know, like I've done the helicopter ride down the strip in Vegas and it's kind of cool. Somebody gave it to us as a wedding present. It was really neat. I don't make Travis Kelsey money. All right. I don't make Patrick Mahomes money. Now I know Travis as his girlfriend, she's busy. He's not going to get... Sure. Okay. Right. Yeah, don't screw this up with, with 
Taylor Swift on the line, bro. But I'm just like, man, they are going to... Something's going to happen. You just know something in Vegas is going to happen. Somebody's going to get in trouble. Somebody's going to wind up on the police blotter. Somebody's going to get suspended, popped. I I don't know. It just feels like it's going to happen. It would not happen with Kirk Cousins if the Vikings were in this. And I know it's a funny joke. The Vikings in the Super Bowl. I know. I realize it. But the odds-on favorite, according to the betters, the odds-on favorite, Next year for Kirk Cousins to suit up and play quarterback. Any guess? The Minnesota Vikings, which makes a ton of sense. Now, I don't know the Vikings cap situation. I do know that right now, Kirk Cousins, who is a free agent to be, his salary costs $28.5 million against their cap. And again, there's a difference in cash paid and cap space. Cap space is... Basically, a spreadsheet, and you have to fit everybody's number underneath the the salary cap, which is going to balloon next year to like $280 million for the team or whatever. Cash, he's already made. Like, he's already made this money. It's the cap number that hinders so many teams. Like Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson's cap number next year is $64 million. Dak Prescott's cap number is $59 million. Like, I hear some radio hosts on this station say things like, oh, they're just going to pay Dak Prescott 60. No, they're going to pay Dak 34. The cap number is actually 60, and that is what matters the most. But back to Kirk Cousins. If you're watching the Green Bay Packers and you watch their formula, which is add a quarterback before you need a quarterback, it worked with Rodgers, and it appears after one year that it's going to work with my guy, Jordan Love. All right? If I am the Vikings, and I had a conversation with a Viking fan a couple of days ago, and he told me I was nuts. Because Kirk is, what, 36? Coming off the Achilles, not fully healed right now. Maybe you should call Aaron Rodgers and get some dolphin sex therapy going on. Maybe that will heal the Achilles. But if I'm the Vikings, here's what I do. I give Kirk that two-year deal, $90 million, $45 $45 million a year is not a ton for a quarterback anymore, which is nuts. Like, if he made $45 million against the cap, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, he'd be the eighth highest paid quarterback in the National Football League. Guess what? Guys are about to get paid more. Burrow's number is going to go up. Dak's number, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Stafford, all these other contracts are about to surpass. So $45 million a year, while three, four years ago, would have sounded insane. Absolutely insane. $45 million a year is not a bad number. It's not what it used to be. And I talked about this with baseball. Like, every year, these numbers are going to continue to go up. And you have to stop thinking about, well, when I watched Joe Montana play in the 1980s and he was making a million dollars a year, or whatever Joe was making, versus Dak Prescott making $34 million or $60 million against the cap, like, it's a different time. It really is. It's so strange. But if I'm the Vikings, seeing how good they were after about week three of this year, I get a healthy Justin Jefferson. I get a healthy Jordan Addison. Hopefully, TJ Hawkinson's back and healthy. I had that nasty knee injury late in the year last year. They, they probably have the young running back to replace Alex Madison, whatever his name is. Name escapes me right now, but I'm sure Viking fan is screaming it at their, uh, at their, their, uh, their radio. You run this back with Kirk Cousins for two years. 
And in the NFL draft, where the Vikings are picking 11, you draft a guy like J.J. McCarthy. He's 21 years old out of Michigan. Mobile guy, has the tools to thrive in Kevin O'Connell's offense, which is from the Shanahan tree. He was with McVay, McVay, Shanahan tree. That's how we get there. You let him learn. You let him watch. You let him follow and study a guy like Kirk Cousins. It will only benefit you. Now, someone's going to say, Wicked, the 11th pick, that's what you're going to do with J.J. McCarthy? Yeah. Yeah, you do. You, 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 take, you take the best quarterback available. And if it's not J.J. McCarthy, maybe it's Bo Nix in round two, the kid from Oregon. The only reason I don't love Bo Nix is like 70% of his passes were five yards and in last year, and it was just a lot of yak in that Oregon offense. But still, he put up like 60 touchdowns last year, which is impressive. But if I'm the Minnesota Vikings, I give Kirk two years, 80 million, 90 million. Again, those numbers sound stupid coming out of my mouth. But I give Kirk two years, 90 million. I draft J.J. McCarthy. I sit him for two years. Let him learn how to play quarterback in the NFL. Not in college under Harbaugh, in the NFL. All right? And then in 2025, 26, excuse me, in 2026, Kirk's deal is over. They're finally not paying Kirk Cousins anymore. They've been paying him a lot of money lately. And Kirk was damn good last year. And Kirk was real good this year. Justin Jefferson loves him, and there could be some leverage played in that whole situation as well. But that's what I would do. And I think the Lions should think about doing that as well with Jared Goff. And the Lions are picking at 29. Maybe that's the same thing. You give Goff a three-year extension. You, you give him the bag. You got Ben Johnson still in there, and you draft Bo Dix. Or you, if McCarthy falls to him at 29, which I don't think will happen, but you find somebody. You find the next guy. Look at Bryce Young. Terrible. Look at the draft class from a couple of years ago. You know, great Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, and Zach Wilson. None of them are great. None of them are great. Part of it is they were thrown into the fire. Part of it is the team they joined. Part of it is they get a chance to sit around and wait. Patrick Mahomes sat for one year behind Alex Smith. Alex Smith wasn't Aaron Rodgers. Alex Smith was real good. But if you can sit somebody behind a proven vet like Goff or Cousins, let them learn for two years, and then they can take the league on or set the league on fire. The Vikings should sign Kirk Cousins, give him the bag, and draft J.J. McCarthy. Coming up, the two biggest stories of the National Football League, uh, National Football League's week, one in Washington and one in Seattle. I don't get what the commanders are doing. That's next. Wicket needs a timeout. He'll be back soon. You're listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Who is this? Weezer? What's the name of the song? Uh, Island in the Sun. Can't wait. Five days. Five days. Trying not to check out. Uh, welcome back in, Mike Wickett, with you here on Wicket's World on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Two biggest stories in the National Football League. I I get one, and I don't understand the other. And you probably know where I'm going with both of these. Uh, let's start with the one that I do understand. 
And Kira, these are going to be the MM cuts. All right. Let me take that back. I sort of get it. Okay. I sort of understand it. Now, with all, there were seven coaching vacancies. And I've already told you last week, I think Bill Belichick is done coaching. I don't think anybody's going to give Bill Belichick a job at his age, the amount of control he's going to need. And let's be honest, without Brady, what did Belichick ever actually do? I know that's kind of a common question and a common take right now. But what did Bill Belichick ever actually do without Tom Brady? So I'm not surprised that Bill Belichick, arguably the greatest NFL coach, football coach of all time, didn't get a gig. But I think, like I said last week, a lot of it has to do with not just the control and the age thing, but like he doesn't connect to today's uh, NFL player. The Mike McDonald hiring, the former defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens, now the new head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, that I kind of get. It annoys me that I'm soon to be seven years older than the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. He's 36. 36 years old. What? 36. And he's the head coach of the National Football League of the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, how cool is that? He went from Jim Harbaugh's defensive coordinator to John Harbaugh's defensive coordinator, and now he's the head coach of the Seahawks. Now, he sounds like he is going to say all the right things, and he's excited to be there in Seattle. It is a leap of faith, but this is a special city, and this is a great football city, man, and we got the best fans in the world. I understand where this organization wants to go. I feel like we're aligned on how we want to get there. I'm just juiced to go do it. There's going to be no secrets, secret thing of, you know, scheme or secret plays that are going to get us there faster. It's going to take a lot of hard work by finding the right people and doing it the right way, treating people the right way, building everybody up throughout the building. I want I don't know what the right way for Mike McDonald actually is going to be. I will say this, and I said the same thing when the Falcons made their decision when they hired Raheem Morris. In today's National Football League, the rules completely and overwhelmingly favor the offense. Young, offensive-minded, hip, innovative coaches are the guys that are getting the job done in the NFL, are the ones that are getting these coaching gigs and having plenty of success. Andy Reid is like the exception to the rule, but he's such an offensive genius, and he's paired perfect with Patrick Mahomes. It's almost like the machine runs itself. But in a league where Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, Mike McDonald, I don't know what to make of Nick Sirianni, but Nick Sirianni. In a league where young, offensive-minded coaches, heck, Harbaugh's still somewhat young. uh, Jim, not super young. I don't get why NFL teams go the other way and sign defensive coaches. Maybe because if somebody zigs, you have to zag, and maybe you'll get them going the other way. But I don't quite understand why teams go and grab defensive-minded coaches or defensive coordinators to be their head coach unless they're going to bring along some genius offensive coordinator. Now, I'll get to the, the commanders in a minute, but Mike McDonald, two years ago, was on Jim Harbaugh's staff in Ann Arbor. Had the best defense in, the national, in, the, uh, in college football. Got trucked by Georgia in that game. And then went on to coach for John, and then two years later has the best defense in the NFL and the Ravens. But that defense couldn't stop 
the worst Chiefs team we've seen offensively in like a decade. They couldn't keep him out of the end zone. Now, Lamar didn't play his best game either. But then they get the gig. He gets the gig in Seattle. Now, I again, Seattle's defense, young. They've got a really good corner. They got a couple of good players on that defensive side of the ball. But what do you know about what do you know about the, the Seattle Seahawks? Well, Pete Carroll's been there for a while. Geno Smith is a top 16 quarterback. 15, 16. Had the breakout year last year. Didn't have as good a season this season. They got DK Metcalf. They drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba. They got the the, the aging wide receiver, the third guy there, who I think is going to be gone. You know, they, 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 Tyler Lockett. They're they're okay. They made the big trade with Russ. They're 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 getting younger. They're getting younger. They're getting younger. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. But you look around the rest of that division. You got the young defensive co- uh, defensive minded coach in Arizona. You got the defensive minded coach there in Seattle. Then you got Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. I mean, that to me, it, it just seems like it's tough to win in this league if you don't have a guy who's air quotes an offensive genius. I mean, look at the Lions. Yeah, they have, Dan Campbell's no genius, but Ben Johnson is. And why Ben Johnson didn't get a head coaching job is still beyond everybody, I think. I think the number one reason you're going to look at Ben Johnson and say, well, that guy didn't get a job because everybody's saying his asking price was too high and he didn't knock an interview out of the park. All right, well, C.J. Stroud had a low test score at the, uh, the combine. How many teams want to go back and take C.J. Stroud right now as opposed to Bryce Young? One more on the hiring of Mike McDonald to Seattle. Uh, ESPN Seahawks reporter Brady Henderson. He is bringing in a proven scheme that has led Baltimore to having what's probably the best defense in the NFL over the past two seasons. Certainly the best uh, this past year. I think they were the first defense in NFL history to lead the league uh, in fewest points allowed, most sacks, and most takeaways in the same season. So it's an excellent scheme that has shown uh, last season that it got it can get the most out of players, which is something the Seahawks did not do last season. You better be able to stop ball in that division. You got Kyler Murray, who looked better, not great, better last year. You got the Shanahan offense, and you got the McVay offense. You better be able to stop ball. If not, you're going to be losing a lot of games where you give up a lot of points. So he's got a lot of work to do over there in Seattle. Now, the other coaching vacancy that got filled this week was the Washington Commanders coaching vacancy, and it's Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn. Yes, that Dan Quinn. When we last saw Dan Quinn, Dan Quinn's defense was giving up points after points after points to Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers. This defense, which beat up on a lot of bad teams. But when they faced good teams, Dan Quinn's defense turtled. When you have Micah Parsons playing middle linebacker, when his number one job is to replicate the effort of Lawrence Taylor, I don't know if you're doing it right. So Dan Quinn, who, of course, was famously the defensive coordinator for the Legion of Boom up in Seattle, goes to the Falcons in 2015, goes 8-8. Eight and eight. The next year, goes 11-5 and five as head coach of the Falcons, losing in the Super Bowl, the 28-3 game. The next year, goes 10-6, and six, losing in the playoffs to the Eagles, goes 7-9, 7-9, and, nine, and, nine, and then in 2020, fired after starting... Oh, and five gets picked up by the Cowboys. He's the defensive coordinator the last few years there in Dallas. And you're just like, okay, whatever you knew he was going to get a job. I didn't think anybody was going to take Dan Quinn after the effort they put out in the, uh, the, the playoff game against green Bay ESPN's Adam Schefter 
first and foremost, they had the GM that they wanted. They got the guy that they wanted right away in Adam Peters, and they hired him out of the box. That was something that was important to them, and they got that done. And I think that they were of the mind that in a perfect world, they weren't going to be pairing a first-time GM with a first-time head coach. And so Dan Quinn checks the boxes there in that regard. The other thing is when these organizations are going through this hiring process, they make a lot of calls and they get a lot of calls from a lot of different people, endorsing candidates, recommending guys, you got to get to know this guy. I'm telling you about this guy, vouching for this guy. I know that the commanders felt like they got more calls and more texts unsolicited about Dan Quinn with positive messages from people than they got from any other candidate. Those were all sleeper cell. Everybody's like, hey, make sure you hire Dan Quinn. Those seemingly all came from a New York area code, a Dallas area code, and a Philadelphia area code. Being like, dude, you guys should really hire Dan Quinn. That's a really good move. Let's hear from Dan Orlovsky. Who's going to be your offensive coordinator? My mind immediately goes to Clint Kubiak, who is the son of Gary Kubiak, who is in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. A couple of reasons. One, when Dan Quinn was the head coach at Atlanta and they went on their run, Kyle Shanahan from that tree, obviously yeah. a tremendous amount of success. Adam Peters, who's their new general manager, had just spent multiple years in San Francisco. So he's going to have a good background of understanding who Clint Kubiak is. He's called plays, I believe, one year in Minnesota. I just think one of the things that is a shoe in is his offensive coordinator, whoever it is going to be, will come from that tree because of the success he had in Atlanta and because of Adam Peters watching that type of scheme be so dominant in in San Francisco, it would make no sense to hire somebody that's not yeah. from that McShanahan tree. Again, that Shanahan tree is starting to spread all over. I mean, you've got O'Connell in Cincinnati. Of course, you've got LaFleur in Green Bay. You've got Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. You've got just that Shanahan tree really starting to branch out. You've got to find somebody who can run that style of offense because it's a copycat league. That, that, that When things work, everybody's doing it. There's a reason why Mike McDaniel had so much success offensively until it got really cold, but he had so much success offensively. Coming out of that Shanahan tree, these guys, are they're, they're geniuses. I'm telling you right now. Uh, Kimberly Martin from ESPN. Uh, this is a really good point that, that the guy that was there before, Ron Rivera, Seemingly had all of the power. It's a lot of pressure for a guy, but Dan Quinn's not going to have that much power, and that's not necessarily bad. Ron Rivera was a player's coach. Guys loved him. But the difference here with Quinn and the way this structure is set up now is they have a true GM in Adam Peters. We talk about the personnel high. This is a huge draft for a first-time GM. Granted, he came from San Francisco. They know what they're doing. But they have to nail this pick. But at least Dan Quinn. Now, he will have input on the draft and all that. But it's not going to be the same amount of power that Ron Rivera had from a personnel standpoint. I think that's what a lot of people criticize Ron for. The personnel plus the players on the field, the production wasn't where it needed to be. The uh, Washington Commanders are sitting there at number two. ESPN's Mina Kimes knows after the Bears pick, the Commanders have got to find their signal caller. The most important job he has, the most important thing when it pertains to the Commanders this season is nailing that quarterback pick at number two and then building an offense around that quarterback, nurturing him, facilitating. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have an offensive coach. You can look at Houston where D'Amico Ryans brought Bobby Sloak and they did such a fantastic job with C.J. Stroud. But it does mean that Dan Quinn has to absolutely nail the offensive coordinator hire And I'm a little bit worried about his ability to do so because the further this thing goes on, and this is late in the cycle, of course, he's the last head coach hired, there aren't as many options, and there's no obvious candidate the way Slowick was with D'Amico Ryans. She's 100% right. Like, you 
you got to hit that that number two pick. Drake May seems like the obvious pick when Caleb Williams goes number one to the Bears, and you got to find an offensive coordinator. All right, we are out here, Kansas City. Okay, I'm not going to be here next week. No show next week. I'll be in Mexico. All right. So, but I'm taking Chiefs, uh, twenty-three twenty. That's my pick. What do you got, Kira? Uh, Chiefs to win it all. All right, there we go. Have a great weekend. <laughs> thanks to Kira. Thanks to you for watching and listening. Uh, thanks for listening to 1021 FM, 1350 ESPN Des Moines.